Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. Today's cool fact of the day is about mitochondria. And many people think that we get about 50% of our genetics from our mothers and 50% from our fathers, but you're actually more related to your mom than to your dad. And that's because when you're conceived, the egg and sperm each had mitochondria, but Mitochondria are the part of the cell which takes in nutrients and breaks them down and creates energy-rich molecules for your cells. They're basically the batteries or the power plants for your cells. And your mitochondria come exclusively from your mom. And if your mitochondria stop working even for just about six seconds, you die because those mitochondria are that active. They're constantly recycling this energy for you. It's kind of like what happens when your iPhone is down at 1% charge. As soon as you lose that last percent, you're gone. And today's guest is someone that you know and love if you're a longtime listener. It is none other than Dr. Mark, the medical director for Bulletproof and the head of our coaching program. All right, Mark, how are we doing this? Um, are you reading the questions? Am I reading the questions? How do we decide to do that this time? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll read the questions if, uh, if you want. Right. Should we do that? All right. Yeah, okay. Why don't you read the questions and I'll answer, then you'll answer, and we'll just we'll do what we always do. People who listen to us yeah. regularly know these are kind of special shows where you learn a lot about a lot of stuff. All right, yeah. let's let's roll. 
Okay, so um, actually, before we do our first question, Dave, I want to talk a little bit about mitochondria because something that hardly anyone realizes is that at a biological level, we are fundamentally mitochondria. <laughs> and this you sounds, and I are in agreement there. <laughs> it sounds like a crazy thing, right? It's like people, well, aren't we human? Don't we have like 60 trillion human cells? Well, actually, we have over a quadrillion mitochondria yeah. within those cells. And so one of the themes that we're going to bring into this que uh, question and answer today is to keep relating them back to mitochondria, because what we're starting to realize is that if you really care about your performance, if you care about your energy, you care about your health, then you need to know about mitochondria. In fact, if you, if you think about it, we have this great story. And if you fast forward, fast reverse, whatever you call that, uh, back to high school biology, like, oh yeah, uh, many hundreds of millions or billions of years ago, we, we harnessed some little bacteria, which became our mitochondria. That actually were little reddish colored bacteria mm. at one point in evolution. And we use them for energy. Now, the flip side of that would be many millions of years ago, <laughs> mitochondria saw our cells and were like, oh, Petri dishes, let's colonize those <laughs> and take them over. Yeah. And to this, to this day, when people read The Bulletproof Diet or they, they hear me talking about the three behaviors that everyone has, the, the Labrador brain behaviors, these are bacteria behaviors. This is the operating system for a bacteria to be alive. And it's easy. Eat everything so you don't starve run away from or kill everything so it doesn't you know, eat you and so you can reproduce. And the third one is make sure you have sex with everything else so that you can reproduce the species. That's all you do to become a biofilm. Like, like mm. That's how stuff floating in the ocean or the stuff growing, uh, frankly, in the bottom of your trash can. It doesn't matter. That's mm. what bacteria do to stay alive. And that's what plants do. That's what everything alive does. So that's what you do too. All of the behaviors that you don't like come from one of those three things. Like, like find something you've done that you're ashamed of that didn't come from your mitochondria. It always comes from those core urges. And our job as humans is to be able to be aware of those urges and to have control of them. And in some of the more advanced work that we do, um, both at, in the coaching program, in the new uh, personal development series that we're running, as well as even at 40 Years Zen, it's like how do you reprogram the core behaviors that come from mitochondria so that they're less reactive? So that's why Headstrong is such an important book, and that's why in every question we'll, we'll tie this right back to mitochondria. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for queuing it up the right way, because I, I was blown away. I, I always knew mitochondria mattered. I thought they were power plants. I didn't know they were in charge. Yeah, and um, it's quite humbling, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, about, when you when you realize kind of so much of our unconscious behavior and the way we feel, the way we show up in life, the way we relate, the things we think are influenced by these primitive organs situated in our cell. So it's time we started paying a little bit more respect to mitochondria. <laughs> yeah, and and just understanding they're about ten percent of your body weight. Yeah, uh, which is not that much, but they make six hundred pounds of ATP every day. Uh, from 50 grams of raw material. They just keep recycling it. So it's, it's like, you know, you have your iPhone uh, and its, it's battery it is fundamental. It doesn't work without the battery. Well, this, this is our battery and it, it's, it's looking all around like, what, what can I do now? Even though you don't know it's doing that. So it, it's fascinating. Yeah, re really fascinating. So, um, and I, le I learned a lot from reading Headstrong as well. So um, it's, a, it's a significant contribution um, to, to the field of performance and health. So, uh, so thank you for doing and, that. Well, thank, thanks for the, your kind comments. And, and I mentioned iPhones. Since we're getting going and people like to hear the latest biohacks, before we get into this first question, 
I'm going to show off the back of my iPhone because it's cool. So if you're watching on YouTube, you go to bulletproof.com slash YouTube. We'll show you the channel. But check this thing out. It's a sensor from a company called Cardia, and it gets a hospital-grade EKG on the iPhone anytime you want. And the first one's looked at by a doctor, but after that, it actually uses artificial intelligence to tell you if your EKG or your heart, basically if your heart's beating well. Normally, it's for people who have heart attacks and are at risk of, of things like that. I don't have any risk like that. I just like cool gadgets that monitor things. Plus, my iPhone looks kind of like a spaceship now, so it's kind of cool. But you literally put two fingers on the back of it. It takes 30 seconds, and then it will take your EKG, send it up to the cloud. In 2003, I designed the entire back-end infrastructure for the first stick-on heart rate monitor to solve exactly this problem mm. so that we could tell people, you're about to have a heart attack. Go to the hospital now because you have 48 hours before you're probably going to die. And well, now there's a sensor. I'm not sure how much it costs because I got it at the Peter Diamandis conference, but it's not terribly expensive. And like, this is the kind of stuff that's completely cool for biohacking because before this was hidden data. And by the way, guess what's powering your heart? Of course, it's mitochondria. You have a mitochondrial problem, your heart isn't going to be able to beat, and you will, you actually will have a heart attack if you don't have enough mitochondria energy in the heart. That's, it's an, it's where electricity comes from. This is measuring electrical output from mitochondria that is used by the heart. So it's fascinating, but even when we're talking about iPhones, there's a mitochondrial connection. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's uh, start with our first question. So this is from Rodney, age 42, from the United States of America. Dear Dave and Dr. Mark, over the last few years, I've had an increasingly hard time with keeping focused and clear-headed. I get brain fog, and my short-term memory isn't great. Caffeine helps, but it makes me anxious and jittery. Uh, what else can I do to help? So, um, you know... When I read that question, what comes up immediately is inflammation and mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, we need to explain what I mean by all of those. Um, now, if we actually had Rodney with us, we'd be asking him a whole bunch of questions. I'd want to know, mm -hmm. listen, what's happened to your energy levels? You know, do you get forgetfulness? Do you get cravings? You know, what's, got, what's changed in your environment over the last couple of years? You know, what are you, what are you surrounded by? In a really simple, systematic way to take a look at any health issue or any performance issue is to take a look at the environment around you and the way it's influencing you, then your internal environment, your biology and psychology, and you just systematically go around it. And so, so for Rodney, I suspect what's going to be going on is that he's got inflammation. I'd love to know how his gut health is. Yeah. Are you getting any bloating, any flatulence, any kind of wind, that kind of stuff? Now, I've got a whole bunch of ideas as to how to go with this, but I just want to get your initial thoughts on this, Dave, uh, from your perspective. I would also look at his age, because one of the variables there is time. Mm. And 42 is an interesting period. Most people under age, well, not most, well, slightly most, 52% of people under age 40 have normal mitochondrial function. 48% of people have early onset mitochondrial dysfunction, according to research in Headstrong. So he just crossed over 40, and pretty much everyone over age 40 has mitochondrial dysfunction. We call it aging. <laughs> and one of the five theories of aging is that your mitochondrial function goes down. And when you talk about inflammation, you always get inflammation when your mitochondria start leaking. The idea is a, a tight-running motor doesn't leak oil. All of the pressure from, from an explosion in a motor goes into powering the car forward. And then you get leaky, leaky valve seals and eventually some of, the, some of the pressure goes into the engine. It doesn't go um, into the tires. And so an, an old car just doesn't drive like a new car. It doesn't have the same power curve. Every time your mitochondria leak these high-energy electrons, instead of putting them into the system, 
it creates inflammation directly. It's called reactive oxygen species or free radicals. So since the brain has the highest density of mitochondria, along with it's the eyes, which are an extension of the brain, the brain itself, and the heart, that's where the most energy per cell lives. When someone says, I get brain fog and short-term memory problems like that, I'm like, what are the mitochondria in your brain doing? And by extension, since mitochondria all talk to each other, what are the mitochondria in the rest of your body doing? And the answer is, you just crossed over from probably functioning mitochondria into the realm of my mitochondria have started leaking. You're getting older. So what do we do to reverse that? Yeah. So um, you know, what we need to do, uh, to anyone who's listening to this, what I'm going to share with you are the basic principles for tackling kind of any issue like this. So you know, apply it to your own life as well. And we want to basically start working out where Rodney's kryptonite is. So kryptonite is essentially anything that undermines your energy, your performance, the functioning of your mitochondria, the functioning of your brain. And we have to, we have to take on the role of a detective to do that. And we've got to be systematic about it. And so we can look to the environment surrounding ourselves. So what kind of light are we being exposed to? Is it fluorescent light? Is it LED light? Are we getting enough sunlight? You know, the air around us, you know, is it full of negative ions? Is, is there air pollution in there? Is there mold in there? You know, what kind of people am I surrounded by? Am I near to nature? You know, what kind of water am I drinking? Is it chemically contaminated? You know, what food am I bringing in? You know, one thing I see often with people with brain fog, and many of my patients have brain fog issues, it correlates really closely to food sensitivities. I know that if I personally eat gluten or dairy or refined sugar, I'll have brain fog within a couple of hours, period. Some people have lectin sensitivity. So lectins I'm, are... I'm one of those. There you go. I mean, what happens when you have uh, uh, lectins, right? So lectins found in beans and kind of legumes and grains and nuts and seeds. It creates this inflammation inside of your body. So lectins are just um, proteins that bind to carbohydrates. They're the um, immune defense system for plants. But we can't digest them. And when you're sensitive to them, it creates this inflammatory cascade in the body. And so you can be going along feeling fine you have some lectins, and then before you know it, you can't think properly. You're making bad decisions, and you become a pretty miserable person to be around, and then you're raging, and you're moody, and all this kind of stuff. And like an hour or two, two previously, you're absolutely fine. It's interesting, too, and that sensitivity is genetic. Mm. It, it comes down to the way your immune system is put together. It's not about allergy at all. Yeah, it, this is about those plants developed uh, a system to keep animals from eating them and that system works against you but your spouse or the guy sitting across from you may be perfectly fine eating that plant so it's not that the plant is good or bad mm -hmm. it's that it's kryptonite for you and most people eat the high lectin foods every single day so your normal state is not the same and there's at least three studies that i'm that i cited in Headstrong that talk about how lectins directly poison mitochondria if you're sensitive to that kind of, of lectin. So the dysfunction of mitochondria happens because you ate bell peppers or you ate potatoes and you're sensitive to the lectin in that food, uh, even though they're, they're not bad foods for some people. Mm. So for Rodney here, I would, I would really want him to, to look at what are you doing in the meals for 24 to 48 hours before uh, you get the worst brain fog and short-term memory problems. And, and I also think that we would want to address blood flow in the brain. He's got to be yeah. getting uh, what I recommend in, in Headstrong and what the data shows. Is, like, if you move for 20 minutes a day, 
And moving, go for a, just a normal walk. You don't have to take the stairs every day, although that might, might be good. You're not going to be a better person if you take the stairs. I use the Bulletproof Vibe. Uh, usually that's my primary form of movement, uh, especially when I've got two feet of snow on the ground like I do right now. Uh, it's not that convenient to go for a walk in it. Uh, the other thing that can make a really big difference is in the last three years, most people have added LED lights to their house and the brightness of TVs and the brightness cool. of uh, of phones and all, it, it's gone crazy. I, I remember I got my first Mac. The first time I got a job at a venture capitalist firm, this was geez, almost 10 years ago. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd wanted to, to work at a VC since I was 12 years old. I was like, a venture capitalist, like how fun you get to see all these companies and you get to like help these people who are doing all these things. And I bought a new Mac and I would sit in this fluorescent lit room staring at a super bright white screen. And by 11 in the morning, I felt like such a zombie and I, I couldn't figure it out. And I'd go outside for a little while and I'd let my eyes relax and I'd look at, at the sun and, and I'd go back in. And it, it was draining to me. And what I figured out after actually a couple of years of this was that the new bright LED illumination in laptop screens that they had just added to the Macs, it was affecting my brain because the eyes have mitochondria that get stressed. A new study just found a 23% reduction in mitochondrial function in the macula after exposure to these bright white screens. That's, that's a lot. Like You're going to get macular degeneration if you stare at a fully illuminated uh, any kind of modern thing. Uh, even the TV, I have a, a new Sony uh, big screen TV, and it's so bright that the kids and Dr. Lana and I, we, we look at that, especially in the evening, and it, it knocks us out. And we actually have to turn the brightness down and change the color temperature. And it's because the mitochondria talk to each other. And we think we know how they talk to each other. We know they do talk. We don't know if it's chemical or uh, my guess is that they talk by shining photons at each other. These are, are little light molecules. They're called biophotons. And we know mitochondria are very light sensitive and we know they make light. So the idea that they make it and then they hear it is not that uncommon. We also know that without complete darkness, that doesn't work. So for Rodney, at night when you go to sleep, you need to cover every LED in your bedroom and... You need to duct tape your curtains to the window, or better yet, get a proper roll-down shade and curtains that cover it so that when you open your eyes at night, there is no street light coming in. Uh, because we've changed the spectrum of light, we have like the corn syrup of lighting at, in street lights, in your neighbor's lights, and outdoor lights, and if you don't get absolute darkness, you are, you are going to get brain fog, and you're going to get short-term memory problems over time. So just controlling that... Uh, less sugar and more ketones, I, I think, could make a huge difference. And there's nothing wrong with looking at uh, the writing I've done about nootropics and smart drugs. Mm. Because uh, for me, for 20 years, I've been taking smart drugs that support my brain. Uh, I, aniracetam is my favorite one, which actually lets you get uh, your, your, short-term, your short-term memory. It's, they call it memory I.O., the ability to get things in and out of memory. I don't forget words ever. Whereas before, even though I was a very successful executive in Silicon Valley, there were times when I just couldn't remember words and it would drive me nuts. At this point in my life, even though I have a very intense schedule, I'm back to back, I'm a New York Times bestselling author, I run a Webby Award winning radio show, I'm CEO of a rapidly growing venture back company, and I'm a dad who spends a lot of time with his kids. Like I'm, I'm all in. I don't forget words. They come effortlessly. And if I do forget even one word in a day, it's a red flag. And I say, what did I just do? What changed? Because that is not a normal occurrence, whereas before, dozens of times a day, it was a normal occurrence. So for you, that's a sign, and you picked it up, Rodney, that something isn't right. You've got to figure out what do you do so when you have less of that and more of that. That's, that's your radar map to tell you when you're, you're doing better or doing worse. 
Yeah, I just want to uh, zoom out there. So for anyone listening to this, um, just bear this in mind as well is that, you know, if you forget something, if you feel tired or you get moody or you inexplicably get angry, if you can't find the right word, if you can't hold your focus and get easily distracted, that is a symptom of an underlying disordered biology and psychology and possible environment as well. And so what happens in society is we just normalize it. We're just like, okay, this is just me. It just kind of kind of creeps on, right? And we're surrounded by others who are distracted and tired as well. So um, one thing you mentioned in your book um, is uh, normal is your nemesis. And that's a phrase that kind of <laughs> stuck with me. So maybe we can just talk a bit about that because there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who have been tolerating essentially intolerable symptoms for a long time, thinking nothing of it. And yet actually by making some adjustments to their internal environment, their external environment, not only can they resolve the symptoms, but they can actually feel really good. You, you can uh, feel really good. The problem is you don't know what really good feels like. Unless you're hospitalized or just like disabled, you probably think you're doing all right. And this is our, our own ability to deceive ourselves. I didn't know you were supposed to be able to walk without pain. Mm -hmm. uh, because I was born uh, duck-footed, uh, believe it or not, and I kind of learned to straighten that out. I've I had arthritis diagnosed in my knees when I was 14 years old. I have a screw in my right knee. And when I was about 20-ish, somewhere in there, I finally got orthotics that worked. And I walked across campus at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and I'm like, oh my God, I just walked across campus without pain. I had no idea that was possible. I played soccer like at a high level for 13 years. And I'm like, it's just supposed to hurt. So you just power through it. So for me, normal was this is just a state. Like it, it's not even a big deal, but it was completely abnormal. So what our goal is as biohackers is, is do not be normal. <laughs> like, like average is not what you want to be. You want to be way above average. You want to be abnormal. And what that means is, is there something you don't like, even if you consider it to be normal? And in Rodney's case, he figured out, uh, I don't like it that I'm forgetting words. I don't mm -hmm. like it that I'm, I'm getting tired. So that's becoming normal for you. And now you're going to reverse that and you're going to make it abnormal again. Yeah, that's it. So uh, just on the medical front, uh, for people out there with brain fog as well, medications are a very common cause of, of brain fog. Oh, yeah. If you're taking beta blockers, antidepressants, sleeping tablets, you know, if you're on blood any pressure meds, blood yeah. pressure meds, if, if you're on any medications and you're experiencing any symptoms, look at the side effects of the medications and start there. Because I've worked with quite a few people in the past who have tried everything to improve their brain fog and attention. It turns out it was a side effect of the medication. So that's really important. And if you're having a lot of alcohol as well, you're taking illicit drugs, all that can affect your focus and attention. I always ask about gut health because if you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, so you've got kind of bad bacteria in the small intestine, you've got candida overgrowth, you've got any chronic infection, like any uh, chronic viruses, you've got dental infections, um, gingivitis, you know, inflammation of the gums, all of that generates inflammation, which shuts down mitochondrial energy production as well. So there's a lot to think about, but basically you go through it systematically. So you start with your external environment, then you look at your internal environment. And in Headstrong, um, Dave, you, you offer this kind of four-step process, which, which I really liked. It's, and the number one is you stop doing the stuff that makes you weak. And, and, it's and easier we, that way. It's easier that way, right? Because we always say is like start with your kryptonite because kryptonite trumps everything. 
you can be yeah. trying to do all the right things, take all the right supplements and stuff, but you, you start with your crypto and that's where your greatest gain and reward is. And then you then talk about um, adding in energy, and maybe we can explain this a little bit more, increasing efficiency of energy production and supply, and then strengthening mitochondria. And that's a really nice framework for working with someone uh, like Rodney. So I think we've touched on the kind of kryptonite stuff, but what can we be doing about um, supporting energy and mitochondrial function? Well, we, we talked about uh, moving already, which is one of the things that causes you to grow new mitochondria. And there's sort of two types of, of quote, exercise. One of them isn't really exercise, it's just moving. And that's going for a walk. It, it's not, it, it doesn't do anything in terms of, of building muscle. It doesn't really create what we call a hormetic change. So once a week, you need to lift heavy stuff. And you need to do it really intensely for 10 or 15 minutes. It's not that much work. It's very efficient in terms of time. And then you want to move every day. That's going to help. And then in the Bulletproof Diet, and certainly in Headstrong with the eating recommendations, getting enough polyphenols into your body really matters. And polyphenols are plant-based compounds that interact with light. They're antioxidants. And they're from famous sources, things like blueberries, any brightly colored vegetable, blue, purple, red, yellow, things like that. The number one source of polyphenols in the American diet is coffee. In the, the diet in the UK, it's probably still coffee, but it may be tea. Tea mm -hmm. is a much weaker source, but it's a different kind of polyphenol. So what I started doing after I became more, uh, more aware of this is my goal is to get two grams of polyphenols a day. If you eat a normal like high vegetable diet, which actually isn't, isn't that normal, you're getting about a gram a day. So I supplement my polyphenols and I also drink two cups of Bulletproof, uh, Bulletproof coffee with the mold-free beans because it turns out these mold toxins I've been talking about, they're, they're mitotoxins. They harm your mitochondrial function via several different pathways. So you don't want to do that. But I also do three cups of Bulletproof decaf without the, the butter and the brain octane because I have those with meals. And the studies on coffee show that people who drink you know, five cups a day, decaf or not, have lower all-cause mortality. And I believe the likely reason for that is these polyphenols. So I've increased my consumption of coffee or tea. Your job, if you use either one of those, is don't put milk in your coffee or your tea. And the reason is that milk sticks to the polyphenols, so you can't use them. Mm -hmm. Like It takes away the benefits. And... It's interesting, people in the UK drink so much tea, they should have a reduction in stomach cancer, but they don't get a reduction in stomach cancer because they have the habit of putting milk in their tea. So if you, if you change that habit, you could put butter in your tea the way the Tibetans do, or you could just drink it black, and you'll actually get more benefits from it that way. Your, your goal is a big plate of vegetables, moderate amount of fruit, because fructose is bad for your mitochondria too, but some fruit's okay, and it does have polyphenols in it. Fruit for dessert is a better plan. And when you put fat in your vegetables, say grass-fed butter, avocados, coconut oil, olive oil, things like that, the fat allows your body to absorb the polyphenols even better. Mm -hmm. So you end up with a, a much more powerful, uh, a more powerful you, to be perfectly honest, when you do this. And this, over time, will help with, with brain fog. That's great. And um, as you're saying that, Dave, other things are coming to mind now. And, and, and Rodney, if you're listening to this, uh, just check in to see if this is true for you. And same for anyone who's got you know, brain fog, focus issues. I want to know what's happening stress-wise. Are you under a lot of stress? You know, mm. If you are, you know, what you can be doing to attend to that and, and obviously reduce it and manage better. I want to know what your hormones are doing as well. And, you know, so, you know, you're kind of age uh, 42. I want to know what your DHEA, your testosterone is. Um, 
you know, for my female clients, I'm always going to be interested in what's happening with progesterone, estrogen, pregnenolone. Thyroid hormone is massive. If you have a low-functioning yeah. thyroid and your thyroid levels are low, thyroid drives the ATP production process. It is essential. It's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a, a powerful regulator of mitochondrial function. So if you've got a low-functioning thyroid that millions of Americans have, not only are you going to feel tired and depressed, not only are going to put weight on, but you're going to have a hell of a problem trying to keep your focus and you're going to experience brain fog. So all of these things we have to kind of consider. That's why you know, ideally you work alongside a functional medicine um, trained practitioner who can do the testing for you. You know, If you do the basics and you don't get a substantial improvement and you feel you're doing all the right things, then you've got to work with a health professional who can do the testing as well. There's also something called uh, uh, Millie brain fog which stands for mother-in-law induced. Uh, and, and <laughs> all right, that, that, that's not really a medical term. But bottom line is if you have family stress, whether it's your mother-in-law or not, uh, or mm. if it's uh, it, any other sort of emotional stress, mitochondria pick up on emotional stress. So if you have a vague sense that you're going to die or that the world's a bad, nasty place, the mitochondria actually stop doing their repair cycles mm. and they start doing, how do I have enough energy to run away and kill things right now? And if you do that persistently and consistently over time, you do start to lose function in those things. So if you have a lot of emotional stress in your life, that, that works. And that actually leads us nicely to the question from Belinda from Australia, who's 34. And she, she's asking us, she says, uh, David, Mark, I've been anxious all my life. My mom is the same. I had some CBT a few years ago, which helped a little, but I'm keen to be rid of this once and for all. Please help. What do you think there, Dr. Mark? I've got some ideas there, but yeah, loads of ideas. And, um, you know, most of my clinical experience is working with people with um, uh, anxiety and depression. So a, a lot of suggestions here. First thing I want to um, invite for you, Belinda, is to, is to reframe this a little bit. So I know you want, I completely get you want to be free from it and rid of it, but that kind of going to war stance, actually what it does in the longer term, it creates a lot more stress and tension because you're at war with your experience. And so what I want to do is reframe it to not trying to get rid of this, but trying to identify what's gone awry in my biology and psychology and environment to create this experience. So we shift our energy from going from, I'm at war with this, to actually we're, we're going to detect a pattern. Now, for someone who has longstanding anxiety, normally we think generalized anxiety disorder, and that's disabling, it reduces quality of life. One thing we have to check in, it's probably not relevant, is in some people with anxiety, it could be post-traumatic stress disorder. So you don't give any information that suggests that is the case for you. But just for anyone listening to this, if you have, if your anxiety started after a traumatic event, you get flashbacks, you feel an edge all the time, you over overact emotionally, you avoid certain situations, then you think PTSD you got to go down the work on the psychotherapist route using MDR, brain spotting. And remember, that's going to feel normal. If you've had PTSD oh, for yeah. most of your life, you're not going to, to, to see those responses, but the people around you will see them. Oh, yeah, uh, and I, I say this from personal experience. I had PTSD. I was born with the, the, the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. I had like birth-related PTSD. I, I had no clue that I had it or that it had any bearing on my behaviors or my personality. Uh, but I had very low-level beliefs, subconscious beliefs that, you know, there's always mm -hmm. something trying to kill me because I was born into a world where my biology, my nervous system 
was like, wow, there is something choking you. I guess this isn't a very nice place. And, and if you yeah. carry that with you, uh, it, it will, it, it'll be very hard to see for you, but easy for the people around you who care about you to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also going to assume there's no medical cause as well. So yeah. your thyroid's being checked. There's no hypothyroidism. You're not on any medication. So assuming all of that, then what can you do? Well, we start with your biology. Now, we know that if someone is hypoglycemic, they will become anxious. So we need to work on your diet. So maybe, Dave, you can speak to that um, in a minute. But there's some very basic things you can do. You can take supplements like um, L-theanine. It increases the brain neurotransmitter GABA, which relaxes the brain, puts us into alpha state. Add to that things like um, passion flower, um, um, uh, lemon balm, those kind of kind of calming herbs, and add in magnesium. And so what you do is you're starting to take control of your hyperarousal sympathetic nervous system. You're starting to calm it down. Um, Dave, in, in the book, you talk about, um, and I was trying this out the other night, uh, the box breath as a way of actually calming the uh, nervous system. So I don't know if you want to kind of mention a little bit more about that and what the idea oh, behind sure. it is. In fact, when people order Headstrong at orderheadstrong.com, uh, there's a few videos where I teach breathing, and I just recorded the video two days ago on how to do box breath, but I'll, mm. we'll offer it here really quick. And box breath is something that's used by like military special forces in order to calm the nervous system. So when when, uh, when Belinda's feeling a specific anxiety, like, wow, I'm really feeling it right now, you stop, take a deep breath, and you breathe in for five seconds through the nose, hold your breath for five seconds, breathe out slowly for five seconds, and then hold or just, just kind of stop at the bottom and leave the lungs empty for five seconds. And for most people, that five seconds of empty lungs is going to trigger anxiety at first. And that's the body going, I don't have air, I'm going to die. And when you just sit with that, and then you take another slow breath in and just keep repeating this five seconds uh, on each side of the box, what happens is the body learns it's not going to die, and it becomes calm. And it's a, a really powerful way to turn off the state. And... And there was a clue here, Mark, uh, from Belinda, where she says she's anxious her whole life and her mom is the same. Mm. And what that means is that you learned to be anxious from your parents. Like, like we hand this off to our kids without meaning to. So you're a little kid learning how to respond to the world. And when you see anxiety in an adult as their response to the world, you will feel that and you'll learn to model it. And there's, there's some interesting stuff that happens too. And I don't write about it in this book, but it, it's called meta-anxiety. And when you're anxious about being anxious, <laughs> every time you feel anxious, like, oh, no, I'm feeling anxious again. I'm going to die. And, and it actually doubles down. It's like an exponential worsening of this. Uh, we also see this in people with sleep deprivation. So if you're not going to get a good night's sleep, you could wake up and tell yourself, oh, God, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm going to die. It's going to be a terrible day. And then your stress over not having no sleep is worse than the biological effects of just not sleeping. Yeah. Uh, so when you realize and you shift your thinking, this is very different than, than cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which is what worked a little bit for her. Uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy, you learn to sort of feel the emotion and then think your way out of it, right? And sort of talk to yourself about that. The problem with that is that thinking your way out of your emotions is biologically intensive. It uses a lot of electrons made by mitochondria. So you take X percent of your waking focused effort and you start using that to put uh, systems in place to manage the anxiety. And what Mark and I are talking about here whenever possible is to address core causes of the anxiety and to reprogram that. 
with things like EMDR or brain spotting or neurofeedback or heart rate variability training, which yeah. it's only a hundred bucks for a heart rate variability device. Uh, in Australian bucks, that may be like 107 or something, but still it's relatively cheap. Mm. Uh, I like the heart math uh, device called Inner Balance. And all you do, 20 minutes a day, you, you breathe and make the light turn green. And when you make the light turn green, you just owned your anxiety response. Instead of thinking your way outside of it, you felt your way out of it. And feelings happen before thoughts. So when you can change the way you feel about these things, you'll find that it frees things up. And by the way, you're not alone, Belinda. I had anxiety like that. A lot of the very successful execs I've worked with, same thing. I'm like, you have to do heart rate variability breathing. And it frees up huge amounts of energy. Because all the cycles you went into to doing to try and counter your emotions with rationality, if the emotions just calm down, all that extra energy that you were using to try and control yourself is now free for you to do whatever you want. And, and that, that's that changing the environment inside yourself. And of course, there's a mitochondrial ang- angle to this too. When you're less anxious, your mitochondria go into repair mode more than they go into fight or flight mode. Yeah. I'm also going to give you a couple of uh, tools uh, you can use as well. So um, Dave, you, you mentioned about uh, the the almost at one level of the futility eventually of just focusing on the cognitive level to deal with something that is fundamentally experienced in the body and is rooted in the emotions. And so here, here's a process I teach to, to all my patients. It's really simple. What you do is that anytime you're stressed or caught up in anxiety, you take your attention off the story. There's a narrative that accompanies it. You turn your attention inside your body and you locate where the stuck emotion is or the tension or heaviness inside your body will be in your solar plexus, your chest, or in your throat the majority of the time, then here's what you do. You silently say to it, I'm pleased you're here, and you breathe. And what Mm -hmm. happens, you shift from fighting this emotion, going to your head to escape it, to turning towards it and opening up to it and facing it. And then this is the real key bit. You then get a sense of where that trapped energy, because that's just what anxiety is, is just trapped energy. You get a sense of where it wants to exit your body because all energy wants to flow through your body. Does it want to come out your mouth, down your arms or legs, out of your head? And all you do is you just patiently stay with it, get a sense of where it wants to exit, and you can be blown away because what's going to happen is it's going to start moving. And it'll probably move up and out of your mouth. And what happens is you start allowing this energy to pour out of you. And then before you know, as the energy pours out, the anxiety comes out, that trapped energy no longer fuels the overthinking that perpetuates the anxiety. So you've gone to some of the root source. Now, here's another tool as well. It's called tension releasing exercise. We have built into our physiology a innate process for shaking off stress and trauma. It's called neurogenic tremoring. Now, if you see a wild animal that has escaped being attacked, what will happen automatically is it will naturally and involuntarily start shaking. And then about a minute later, it will continue its life as though nothing happened. It basically shakes it off. We all have that within us. Now, this process, tension-releasing exercise, you can look up um, that on the internet. There's loads of um, uh, videos on it. I'll shoot a video about that. That's a good idea. Yeah, it would be. I think that would be a really great service. And and it teaches you how to activate this natural tremoring. And and I teach a little bit to to my clients a version of it. And it just discharges all of this energy, allowing your nervous system to calm itself down. Because right now your nervous system is on high alert. 
And so everything we're suggesting here, calming the biology, restoring mitochondrial function, providing relaxing minerals and herbs, um, discharging the trapped energy, coming out of a helpful story, all of that will move you in the right direction. But here's the key. Sometimes when we feel so anxious, it feels too much to do. We get so overwhelmed. So start with one or two things first. Take it one day at a time. Chart your progress in terms of your mood, your energy, your focus, and what people think about you and what you'll, and you'll find you'll start heading in the right direction and you'll feel empowered because you're going to come to realize like, wow, I can massively influence the way I feel according to how I work with my biology and my psychology. I'm in charge. It, it's a, a powerful thing. And I believe the first time I came across this neurogenic tremoring thing was in the book called On Combat or On Killing, which is a, a very precise look at first responders, SWAT teams, firemen, people in the military, uh, looking at what happens measurably in the nervous system when people are in these extreme situations. And the, those books have changed the lives of, of literally tens of thousands of first responders because they map out what happens. and. There are strange things, you know, someone, you know, wet themselves in fear. That's actually a biological response. Mm -hmm. and, and soldiers, before they go in, if they don't, <laughs> if they don't pee before combat, it's, there's a good chance it'll happen. And it happens for biological reasons. And one of the things that the author of that book, whose name I believe was, uh, is it Grossman? Is that 99% remember mm -hmm. that? I talked about not forgetting things, but remembering book, the, the names of authors of books isn't one of my strong spots. Uh, I believe it's like Lieutenant Colonel... Grossman, if I remember right. Anyhow, On Combat and On Killing are the names of those books. And he writes about how wild animals do this and how when uh, members of the military go into a really high-stress situation, uh, that afterwards they have to go exercise. Or just the shaking thing can work, but sometimes they need to get on a treadmill for a little while just to dump all the adrenal hormones and, and to just allow their body to, to calm down. And that if they don't do that, they, they're stuck in, in these extreme situations. The kind of anxiety that Belinda is feeling is probably not that extreme mm. and probably isn't going to require a workout. Just that shaking it off thing can be, can be a really powerful uh, uh, releasing technique. Great. Well, we hope that uh, helps you, Belinda. And, and anyone else who also experiences anxiety, a lot of people experience anxiety, but there's so much you can do. Well, Dr. Mark, I think we answered some really good questions. We covered a ton of things, both from mitochondria all the way to how do you reprogram what's going on in your head, which will have an effect on the stress levels of mitochondria. Uh, let's end the show here. And for people listening, if you haven't had a chance to pre-order the book, Headstrong. You can pick it up online. You can go to your favorite bookseller. And if you get it before April 4th, you get access to a bunch of bonuses, including a really valuable coupon on the Bulletproof store, which almost pays for the book in and of itself. So I'd invite you to check it out if this show has been helpful for you. And also, if you leave a five-star rating, I'd really appreciate it. It just takes about maybe 10 seconds to go to iTunes, where you may already be listening to this. Give us a thumbs up, and that helps other people find it. Already 1,500 people have given Bulletproof Radio a thumbs up. We've won a Webby Award and have somewhere around 50 million downloads. Uh, this is uh, an amazing thing uh, for me just because it, it's a sign to me that the show is, is doing what it's meant to do, which is to, to help people and to do good. Uh, it's consumed more than 100 lifetimes of, of, of 
human life if you just look at the number of hours of people listening to the show, which means I hope that it's really doing good for you. <laughs> because if not, then I'm kind of a mass murderer and that would be bad. So if you like it, tell a friend, leave a good rating and pick up a copy of Headstrong. Thank you. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.